Many times I've talked to you about how the gospel has changed the world, and it's still changing the world. The world long ago was a lot different to the world now, and um, it's the gospel which has been the biggest influence of change. And um, I've got a little letter I'm going to read to you which was written in 120 BCE. So this is like, you know, 150 years before Jesus died. And this is kind of like what the world was like. This is, you know, the world is very different. But this letter was written from a man called Hilarion to his wife, Alice. And he lived in Egypt. And uh, he lived in the middle of Egypt, but he'd gone north to Alexandria because he was a merchant and um, he had to go work in the markets, sell things, and then he would send the money home to Alice. And the letter is a shocking letter because it's full of affection for his wife, but he says other things we just cannot believe that a man would say, but it's a picture of the world before the gospel. And then you compare it to the world now, which has had the gospel in it for all these years. He says, Hilarion sends greetings to his sister, along with my lady, Baroas and Apollinarium. We are still in Alexandria, don't worry. If they go, I will stay in Alexandria. He's talking about he's got fellow merchants. If they leave, he's, he's telling his wife, I'm going to stay here. Um, oh, by the way, I apologise. I've left off the first bit of the letter. I don't have it here. But the first bit of the letter is full of all this affection for his wife, Alice, how he misses her and the type of thing you would read today between a couple. So he, he sends his affection to his wife, then he sends his greetings to his wife's sister, Baroas and other family members. Then he says, I'm gonna stay in Alexandria and I'm asking you and begging you to take care of the little child. So they have a little baby. And he says, and when I am paid, I will send you right away. If you, are happy, if you happen to be pregnant again, if it is a boy, keep it. If it is a girl, throw it away. That's the world before the gospel. And um, shocking, it's, it's kind of shocking to read a letter. Um, there was an archeological dig in this particular town in Egypt and they discovered heaps of papyruses. And what was interesting were they were all just for regular life people. Now there would have been wealthier people in regular life because average people didn't write on papyrus but merchants were in the wealthier class. And it's just shocking finding these things and seeing the type of lives that there were. And to think, you know, in Roman society, a man was the ruler of his family. He could decide if he didn't want to keep a kid. And it was very, very common for families to only want one girl, um, but to want more than one boy. That was a thing. And um, so there's this comment here, and it was very common to throw children away. Even sometimes they didn't want more than one boy because they, in their mind they couldn't afford to keep them. Um, abortion, which is a horrible thing, didn't happen back then because they didn't have the technology for it. So they just did a thing called infanticide, where they just simply left the children outside. When Jesus came along, Jesus did something quite radical. One day, Jesus was teaching in the, in the hills or someplace near Galilee, and the disciples said to send all the children away because they're bugging him. 
children were like had no value at all and Jesus said don't send the children away for to them is the kingdom of heaven to them belongs the kingdom of heaven so here we've got Jesus putting value on children saying the kingdom of heaven belongs to them but that's in a world where if you didn't think you could afford an extra one just throw them away sometimes we read the Bible and we don't get how quite remarkable the stories are we don't have the perspective we live in a world now where if if any individual ever threw their child away it just doesn't happen but if it ever did imagine the stories but the world's changed the gospel has changed the world it's because of Jesus that that's happened it's because of him saying things like to children belongs the kingdom of heaven it's him teaching his disciples that children are important so the world's changed because of Jesus <laughs> because of the gospel and it's remarkable and even unbelievers think like that because as Christianity spread the values of Christ spread so that the, the whole world's actually changed even the people who are not following Christ have been changed by it as well so what happened was in the early Roman period after Jesus Christians used to actually scour the hills looking for babies that had been thrown away. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having a church meeting and saying, you know, um, this week, you know, who's going to volunteer to go walking around the town looking for babies? Can you imagine that being one of the announcements? And, you know, someone had some spare time and they said, well, this week I won't go to market. This week I'll give up my Tuesday. I'm going to go look. And they would do this type of thing and they would find little babies and they would raise them as Christians. That little baby, when it grew up, it knew. It knew that there was a Christ. It knew that it was loved of God. It knew that it had been saved by God. And bit by bit, and then of course people who were growing up as unbelievers, instead of throwing their babies away, they would just go to the Christians and say, here's my baby, could you please raise it? So progressively, they changed the way that society thought but can you imagine right now that we were doing that imagine us 2,000 years ago and I'm making this announcement and let's say Max here it's his turn to volunteer <laughs> and he goes out looking around the hills around Rocky and in the base of Mount Archery finds a little baby and he brings it home who's gonna look after that little baby you got room for another one in your house who would gladly receive another child? Yeah, well, great. But you know, it's, it was not easy to raise children back then. Life was much more difficult than what it is now. People, you, if you think you live week, paycheck to paycheck now, life was day to day back then for 99% of people. We were showing a graph a few weeks ago on the screen of global poverty and how it's reducing. But up until the 1830s or 1850s, 90% of the people in the world lived on less than a dollar a day. Extreme poverty was normal, and it's been normal as, you know, back to the time of Christ and beyond. So here we're talking about Christians. Some of them would be, um, some of them would be wealthy, but the vast majority, very poor, and if they find a little child, they add it onto their family, and they do their best to care for that child. So we're talking about something that was a very sacrificial thing to do.
Leah enthusiastically would, would if, if anyone here knows of a little child in need of help, just talk to Tavis and Leah. But, uh, and it, it would be a sacrifice for them because it's an effort. You know, it's an effort, babies crying in the middle of the night, less sleep. It's an effort like that, but it would have been a significantly greater effort 2,000 years ago. Financially, the drain on the family, the resources. Now the woman cannot work. You think that women didn't work back then. They worked like slaves to, to keep that family going. Everyone worked like slaves. Children didn't go to school. They worked like slaves to keep yourself fed. So it was an effort, but Christians did it. Christians cared for people and they made that effort. And so, bit by bit, they changed the world around them. And then, of course, in a few hundred years, the Roman Empire became Christian and they started changing rules and saying, from now on, no more throwing out babies, and they started changing things. And the world you've inherited today has changed because of Jesus Christ. How unusual for someone like Jesus to... Like, he thought completely differently to everyone else because he was God. Where did he get those ideas from? No one else thought of any of that type of thing. Christ thought of it. And uh, he, he is a remarkable saviour. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, um, the creation story, it says, um, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and in the birds and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This passage is all very well known because Jesus, God said, let us make mankind in our image. The Bible tells us that every person is made in God's image, which means there's value to them. You know that in ancient culture, they didn't think people were made in the image of God. But there were a few people who thought they were made in the image of God. We're talking like Pharaoh. Pharaoh of Egypt thought he was the son of the gods. You know, you see it in like movies like Prince of Egypt and stuff. He thought he was pretty special because he thought he was made in God's image. Or, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar. He thought he was like the gods. So it was really, really kind of common for royalty to think they were in God's image. But all the rest of the people, the plebs, they were just some kind of lower life. But the Bible tells us that all people are made in God's image. Well, when, when people, when Christians started getting the word of God into them, it changed how they treated people. And the world today there's a thing called human rights. Even the United Nations have put out a charter of human rights. There's so many people today who are not even Christians. They don't believe the Bible. They wouldn't even want to read the Bible. And yet, somehow, deep down, everyone knows that humans have value. Humans have rights. Where did that come from? It come from the gospel. It come from the word of God. It come because of Jesus. And we can thank God for the change that's taken place in the world and continues to take place in the world. So people are valuable. And Christians have always made sacrifices for others because they believed that people were valuable. 
St. Patrick um, was another great example of a person who made a huge personal sacrifice. He, he's not unique, it's just that his story's a bit unique. So many Christians in that period made huge sacrifices and continue to this very day to make huge sacrifices for others. St. Patrick went to Ireland. He knew the place very well because he was actually kidnapped as a child and taken there as a slave. So he, he grew up in Ireland. He, he, was about a, he was a teenager when he was kidnapped, so he could already speak English. But then he went to Ireland as a slave, learned to speak Irish or Gaelic. He learned what the place was like, but then miraculously he escaped from slavery. The Lord helped him. He had a, a kind of a vision that showed him where a ship was and he escaped. He went back to England, but then the Lord called him back to Ireland as a missionary. Now, it all sounds so lovely when you watch the VeggieTales rendition of it, or because that's the one that most people have seen. Um, it just sounds so pleasant, the lovely Irish music playing, the flutes in the background and all that just sounds so cheerful. But Ireland was a place of, of human sacrifice. The, the religion of Ireland was paganism and the, the Druids, they killed people as part of their, their worship. It was not a safe place to go. And it's not a place that any of us would want to have gone if we were living there at a time. And the fact that Christianity had been around for 400 years and no one had gone there tells us that people didn't want to go there. Now, why did it take 400 years for someone to get up the courage to go there? Well, I'd say people weren't brave enough. <laughs> but eventually, someone made a huge personal sacrifice and he went he trusted the Lord and he sowed his life into the ground into that place and changed the island of Ireland. And um, thank God for that because years later when Europe fell into the Dark Ages so-called, it wasn't really the Dark Ages but that's what they call it, and um, you know hordes were, were, were marauding through the countryside and burning monasteries and, and church documents were being destroyed, it was the Irish and their faithful practice of copying scriptures, which kept the Bible for us. And some of you have seen that Book of Kells, Book of Kells, with all those fancy squiggles with mice and all of that stuff. Well, that's the Irish at work. Well, all of that happened because, you know, St. Patrick went there. Church history is so fascinating. But the point is that someone made a huge personal sacrifice to go there at risk of their own life, and as a result, We've all been blessed today. Hundreds and thousands of Christians made personal sacrifices in raising little children that weren't their own. And the world has changed as a result today. And all through the history of Christianity, Christians have made huge personal sacrifices for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel. And um, I wanted to say to you today, that that's what we're being called to do too. One of the things that I've noticed is, is um, you know, all around the world there, there, there's different types of Christians, but there's a very vocal type of Christian that thinks the world is doomed and getting worse. You know, that's not really our subject for today, but here we've often said we think the world is getting better because of the gospel. And that's why a few weeks ago I showed you all those graphs about poverty reducing, homicide rates coming down, global wars reducing, um, you know, 
Calories per person worldwide increasing. That's you know food production. Even in Africa, calories per person increasing. Like I showed in this the book over there with over a hundred graphs, every single one of them is just demonstrating the world is getting better and better and better. That book was they're estimating that by 2030, extreme poverty will be gone in the world. I've got a I've got another book called A Theology of Global Poverty. And it's written by a liberal scholar and it's going on all about how all oh, the world is doomed, people are getting poorer and poorer and poorer, and you know, we've got to get rid of capitalism and all of this. But they obviously never saw the graphs. The world isn't actually getting poorer and poorer and poorer, the world's getting worse. And we talked about all of this a few weeks ago. So if you're in, if you're in that frame of mind where you think the world is just getting worse and worse and worse, there's two things that people do. Either one, they throw up their hands and say, there's nothing we can do about it. Jesus is gonna be back any minute anyway. And they don't do anything. But some people in that camp, they think to themselves, well, if Jesus is coming back soon and the world's nearly over, we better get stuck in with the gospel and share it with as many people as possible. And thank God there are people that do that. But if you're in a church that thinks the world is gradually getting better, and yes, there's hiccups along the way, but the gospel's having an effect, people in that type of frame of mind do two things too. One group of them say, oh well, things are getting good. I don't have to do anything. And I hope that's not you. I hope you're not relaxing, thinking the world's getting better, so take it easy. Because why any example of improvement in history that you look at, why was there improvement? It's because somebody didn't take it easy. It's, it's because someone sowed their life into it. It's because someone sacrificed. It's because someone prayed. And if we truly believe that the gospel is supposed to have an effect, let's say on Rockhampton, Rockhampton's supposed to become more like Christ and more Christian, it certainly isn't going to happen on its own. So it's not a case of relax and just let it happen. This week I went kayaking with, with um, one of my sons, Xavier, and we went to the causeway, and lovely place to go kayaking. I didn't realise it's so shallow. We were there at low tide, and um, all the way across the whole causeway, I kept dipping in my oar to see how deep it was. It didn't get deeper than three feet the whole way across. It was the safest place in the world. You could, collect, you could capsize anywhere and just stand up and hop back in your kayak. I guess in high tide it's a bit deeper. But, um, you know, we rowed across fine to the other side. The wind was with us. But when we came to row back, you could not stop rowing. It was not possible to stop rowing if you wanted, like, you know, normally if you're rowing somewhere and there's no breeze, you can have a break. And then after you've caught your breath, keep rowing. But we could not do that on the way back because the wind was so strong that the minute you stopped rowing, you were going backwards. If you as a Christian think you can relax because you know the world's just gonna keep on getting better on its own, that the gospel's gonna influence our city on its own, you're going backwards. Because the wind of culture and you know, the, the world's full of unbelievers and, and they're pushing <laughs> for what they want. Western culture, there's people pushing against the gospel and they're strongly pushing. And you know, there may be other parts of the world like Africa where the, 
the culture is pushing for the gospel in such a strong way. But here in Australia, culture is pushing against the gospel right now. So we can't relax. And Jesus, he... Let's read John chapter 12, verse 23 to 28. He said so many profound things in the Gospel of John. And he said this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that means, you know, he's going to die, go to the cross, and, um, you know, give his life. He says, Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour, Father, glorify your name. So Jesus saw his life like a seed. Has anyone ever seen wheat? You know, seen a single seed of wheat? If you haven't, just go buy some multigrain bread. Not multigrain, what is it? It's multigrain bread and it's got seeds in the bread. Well, you know, a, a seed of grain is kind of like one of those seeds. And, um, well, Jesus was saying he was like that. But when he went to the cross, it was like planting that seed in the ground and a whole plant would come forth with a hundred seeds. I don't know how many seeds are in a head of grain, but it's definitely a lot more than one. And Jesus was saying, the time has come for the sun to be glorified. So I'm going to sow my life into the ground and it's going to produce this harvest. And, but then... He applies it to all his disciples right there and to all of you as well. He said, if anyone loves their life, they will lose it. In other words, if you say, I'm not sowing my life in, I'm not making a sacrifice, I'm keeping my life cosy and comfortable, I don't want to make an effort, well, that's saving your life, that's hanging on to your life, and according to Jesus, you will lose it. But if you were to give your life sacrificially, like those early Christians who scoured the hills and saved babies and sacrificed and raised them, and, or people like Patrick who went to Ireland despite the fact of how dangerous it was. We were talking to youth on Friday night about these missionaries that went to Papua and Papua New Guinea and even as recently as the 70s and the 80s, there were cannibals and headhunters. They were risking their lives as just as recently as that for the sake of others. You know that fellow Don Richardson rowing up the Cronkle River in 1972, that's in the lifetimes of people in this room, rowing up the Cronkle River knowing that at any minute he could be shot right out of the bushes and eaten. There are people making those types of sacrifices in your lifetime for the sake of others. And, um, but some of us don't even want to let go of our bad attitudes. So, you know, what about sowing your life into the ground for the sake of the gospel? So, and Jesus said, of course, if you hate your life in this world, and what he meant by that was you're willing to give up your life, sow it in, he says you will keep it for eternal life. You'll save it. If you're willing to sow your life in for the gospel in Christ, you'll end up getting it back with rewards. 
But if you're not willing to do that, you try to hang on to what you've got, you end up losing it all. So I think I could say safely that there's a demand on your life. Christ places a demand on you. It's, it's not the type of demand where he's going to force you to do it. It's a demand that you have to choose to respond to. It's a gospel demand. So there's a calling upon you. Now, um, we're moving bays here in the next few weeks. We've been working on this for like more than a year, moving bays. Why are we doing that? We're doing that for the sake of the gospel. It might, maybe it's not as clear to you as it's as clear to me. But I know that we're doing that because we're thinking to ourselves, we want to reach people for Christ. We want people to be impacted by the gospel. We want to make this the type of place which um, touches the heart of people. What, what was happening is we were having people come in the door of the church. They were coming into a building that looked like a giant clubhouse. And then people were never coming back. They were coming once and we were never seeing them again. And the Lord told us many years ago, he said to beautify the building. It was an instruction the Lord gave us to do and we never got around to doing it. But there's something about doing up your building, making it nicer, that causes churches to grow. It happens all around the world. So we are doing this because of the gospel. Now some of you have sacrificed money for this cause. Some of you have sacrificed time. You've given up time to volunteer. We've done all sorts of things. We've spent weeks scraping up glue off this floor ripping up carpet, painting beams for weeks on end, painting the, the walls now. People have given all sorts of their time. I know Jamie has given so many hours to running wires and stuff like that. People have sacrificed. It's not just so we can have a happier, cool new church. It's for the sake of the gospel. It's because we want to touch people's lives for Christ. So it's not just for our own coziness. And then... Part of moving into the middle is to free up this bay so we can start a Sunday school. Why are we doing that? We're doing that because we want to reach people with the gospel. Children. And of course, through the children, we want to get to their parents. We want to have the Sunday school at, you know, an hour before church. And then, of course, the parents will have to come and drop their children off. We're going to give them free coffee for those who want to stay for the hour. And while they're up there, the worship band will be practicing and they'll be hearing gospel stuff. And then, of course, they'll be picking up their children to go home right when church is starting. It's all designed to trap them with the gospel. And you're going to be praying for them, right? Because that's what Christians do. Life has gotten a lot more comfortable for us Thank God. I don't want to be back there 2,000 years ago living that horrible existence. I much prefer living the more comfortable life of now. But we have to make some choices to do some uncomfortable things for the sake of the gospel. And one of those things we choose to do is pray for the lost. We do it here on a Sunday once a week for two minutes. But you should be choosing to do it at home as well. For your neighbours, you know, the Lord has put you next to people you thought you chose the house you lived in. No, you didn't. God chose for you to live there. It says it in Acts chapter 17. It says, God determined the times and the places where people would live. 
God chose for you to live in your house. God chose for your neighbours to live next to you. And you're supposed to be influencing them for Christ. So, sacrifice for your neighbours. Don't mow your lawn right up to that line. And I'm not mowing a blade of grass over the line. Every now and then, do a bit more and help your neighbours out. Show a bit of Christian goodwill. And if they're struggling and they forget to put out their wheelie bin, put it out for them. No, just think a little bit like a Christian. And if you need to do something hard for them, do it. Because that's a Christian sacrifice. I don't know if anyone knows, but I have a web hosting business. I've been running it for, you know, 10 years or so. And it's mostly not been very lucrative or profitable and mostly just been hard work. But it's starting to make some progress, thank God. But a few years ago, um, on one of the web hosting forums, there was this message that got put up by a bloke called Steve. And he ran another web hosting company in the Gold Coast. And he said, um, help. He said, I'm going to India for seven weeks. And uh, the internet there was going to be unreliable. And he said, can someone please offer support to all my web hosting clients while I'm away? And of course, how many people answered that? Nobody. And so I felt that I should offer support for this guy's clients. And I said to Steve, I'll do it for you. And he told me, you know, what, what was involved. And then he said to me, and then I'll, you know, I'll give you a gift or something when I come back. And I said, I don't want your gift. I just want to do this for you to help you. That's it. Well, it turned out that particular guy was an atheist. Now, I didn't know that at the time. I just felt that God just wanted me to do it for him as an act of love. To this very day, he loves me. He sent me, he said, and I said at the end of his holiday, I said, there is one thing I'd like, a picture of you at the Taj Mahal. So I get this postcard, him at the Taj Mahal. Like, you know, you can do, there's a thing where you can take your own photo and it turns into a postcard. There's an app for that. There's an app for everything. And um, it comes with all these, you know, thoughts of his on the back. And somewhere I still have that postcard. To this very day, he loves me. Every now and then get an email that says, is there anything I can do for you? Well, you know, I don't think there's anything he can do for me, but that's not the point. The point is, as Christians, we change other people by making sacrifices for them. That's a Christian thing to do. So we don't just relax and say the world's going to get better on its own. It's not. But rather we live the same type of Christian life that Christians have always lived. So it's not just the job of a pastor to be a Christian example. It's every person who's called to be a Christian example. You're called to sow your life into the ground just like Christ sowed his life into the ground. It means making sacrifices. It means being willing to spend time in prayer. So yeah, there, is, there are times when you'll need to turn off Netflix and get on your knees. And that means that's Christian sacrifice right there. And it's actually easy to do in comparison to what Christians have had to do in previous generations. And even right now in parts of the world, there are Christians who make huge sacrifices. David Hood, before he went on his um, pilgrimage, he um, was getting all these emails. He might still be getting them from Myanmar and places with photos. And he was reading them to us. 
The things that the Christians are doing in Myanmar there, unbelievable. We have no idea what it's like to live those types of lives. Life's pretty cushy. And I don't want to change the cushiness of life. I am happy to have it. But we need to be willing to do things for the Lord, for the gospel, for Christ. So my message this morning is from John chapter 12. Jesus said, the hour has come. Well, you know, that was his hour. His hour had come. But I would like to say to you, the hour has come. The hour has come for you to sow your life into the ground for the sake of the gospel. And in verse 27 and 28, Jesus said, My soul is troubled. What shall I say? In other words, he was a bit worried about what was going to happen. Right? Wouldn't you be a bit worried if you knew you were about to be crucified? It sounds so like casual here. My soul is troubled. I'm sure his anxiety level was right up. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Save me, Lord? He says, no, that's the whole reason I've come to this. I need to do it. And then he prayed a prayer. Father, glorify your name. And I suggest that's your prayer too. Whatever happens to you, whether good, bad or ugly, your prayer is, God, let your name be glorified through my life. If someone slanders your name, drags you through the mud, your prayer would be, Father, glorify your name. If someone honours you and lifts you up because you've served others, you've served your community, you've done well, and you get recognition, same prayer. Father, glorify your name. It's because of Christ that that's happened. No matter what happens, good or bad or in the middle, that's your prayer. Father, glorify your name. So my encouragement to you is not to relax. If you think the world's getting worse and worse and worse and Jesus is coming back soon, then definitely don't relax because if you think it's all over, you've got to work harder than ever now. But if you think the world's getting better and better and better, don't relax because <laughs> it's not getting better because people relaxed. It's getting better because people made an effort. So make an effort. Whatever your eschatology is, it's time to take up your cross and follow him. So my encouragement to you is to be a Christian. Consider the gospel. Consider prayer. Be a prayerful person. Consider how we should love our fellow believers. Because when we love one another, that's very convincing to the world that the gospel is true. So consider other Christians and treat them well. So my prayer is that you will do all these things. And my encouragement to you is to, is to take up your Christian way of life more than before. Don't go home and enjoy a chicken salad and say that was a lovely sermon and don't think about it again. Don't do that. Go home, enjoy your chicken salad if you have one, because that glorifies God as well. But then say to yourself, how can I be a Christian today? Yeah, there might not be babies on the hills to rescue. There might not be people who commit human sacrifice that you've got to go and brave. Sharing the gospel is as easy as tagging someone in a video on Facebook. It's gotten real easy now to be a Christian. But how can you 
make a sacrifice for Christ. If you don't know, then my suggestion is start praying more than you were before. There's a beginning place right there. So I'm going to invite the band to come back. We're going to conclude with a song. I'm going to pray and bless you and leave you with all those thoughts. Lord, we're so grateful. First of all, for the love of Jesus Christ. I thank you that when you got to your moment of trouble, you didn't turn back. I thank you, Lord, you were willing. And Lord, I thank you that, that the Father was glorified in what you did. I thank you, Lord, for those early believers that followed your example. I thank you for the world that's changed today because of them. And my prayer would be that we would also follow the example of Christ, that we would be willing to make an effort for the sake of the gospel, that we'd be willing to get on our knees and pray, Father, I ask for grace to be given to everyone here at peace. And Father, help us with this second stage of our journey. Lord, help us with moving bays. Help us with the Sunday school. Help us with our life groups, our community outreaches. I pray your power be upon us. Help us next week as we go to Blackhall to serve that church out there. May the power of God be upon that. Lord, give us grace in all we do that we might be an impacting community of believers right here in the city of Rockhampton. Give us grace to love our fellow Christians and support them. Father, I ask you to build your church and the gates of hell and not prevail. And now, Father, I ask that as everyone goes, you would bless them, you would strengthen them, you would equip them, equip them for life and for service. But I pray you'd also help them to come to the right conclusion about the questions we have raised today. Holy Spirit, be on their case. In the name of Jesus, amen. <laughs>